Exit for Podcasts is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more podcasts about movies, nostalgia, and pop culture, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. I need a hero. I'm holy love for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong and he's gotta be fast. And I need a hero. I'm holy love for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong and he's gotta be fast. And he's gotta be fresh on the fight. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Exits for Podcasts, the show where we take a look at the uncanny X-Men comic book franchise, starting with Giant Size X-Men number one, and make our way through the misadventures of Marvel's Merry Mutant. Today we're going to be taking another detour through the back issue bin and take a look at some adventures of Captain Britain. Of course, with me to cover this Captain Britain nightmare mess we found ourselves trapped in in this hellish British landscape is my amazing co-host and husband, Kevo. Hi there. Hey Kevo, so welcome back to the party. How you doing? Good. How about you, Nico? I'm doing great. We're, you know, we're pretty gay married. Pretty gay married, yeah. Pretty gay married. And I think part of the thing about being pretty gay married is we pretty gay live together. And every gay day. Every gay day. And so that means that uh, when we wake up, we're together. And when we go to sleep, we're together. So it's actually really hard to catch each other up on shit. So we kind of have to manufacture this moment for the sake of our audience. Yeah, pretty much. I guess. How was the two hours I didn't see you today? Pretty exhausting. I think it was actually more like two and a half, so please don't shortchange me that half an hour. No, of course. No, of course. Of I course. felt it too. I felt that half hour, man. Right. It was uh, it was brutal. But we're together now, and that's what matters. And now we're with all of you. As always, we're going to be talking about some comics today, and we're going to be talking about the comic landscape in general. I actually heard some pretty cool news today, and this is something that matters very much to you and I. Marvel announced today that they would be doing their first film centered on an Asian-American character. And they're going to be doing Shang-Chi, and they are looking for an, an Asian director. And I think that's just the best possible thing right now. Yeah, that's great. I think we should just talk about the nightmare that is Captain Britain. It's not as bad as all that. It's not great, though, so I'm not sure what I'm defending. We're going to be taking a look at where we left off, Captain Britain Weekly 28 through 39, as well as Super Spider-Man and Captain Britain 241 and 242. The creative teams on these things were nuts. Writing this down was crazy. Okay, the plots on issue 28 and 30 were by Gary Friedrich with scripts by Larry Lieber, John Buscema, and Tom Palmer responsible for the art. For issue 29, it was Friedrich, Lieber, John Buscema, and Fred Kita for issues 31 to 34 and 36. It's Frederick Lieber, Ron Wilson, B. Budiansky, and Fred Kita. For issue 35, it's Frederick Lieber, Ron Wilson, B. Budiansky, and Tom Palmer. Issue 37 is by Len Wein. Once again, we just can't get away from Len Wein. And then that issue had art by Ron Wilson and credited as P. Marcos, who would later be credited as Pablo Marcos, and that tells us who he is. Issue 38, 39, and 241 feature a plot by B. Budiansky with script by J. Lawrence, art by Ron Wilson and Pablo Marcos, before 242 having, again, a plot by B. Budiansky, script by J. Lawrence, with art by Ron Wilson and Fred Keita. It's like the same six guys just sort of like kept cycling in and out except Len Wein, who made one really random appearance and then disappeared. Nah. The disjointed creative teams shine through in the work. Captain Britain Weekly, 1 through 27, really didn't cover that much material. Captain Britain was about to die and was greeted by two magical sky people who said, pick either this magical stone or this magical sword. And he picked the stone and thus became Captain Britain by choosing the amulet of... Right. 
as opposed to the Sword of Might, which was chosen by the bad guy, and kind of, we don't really bring that up ever again. I literally can't remember his name off the top of my head, I just remember the really- Joshua Strag the Reaver. The Reaver. I just remember the really over-the-top Dark Knight Monty Python costume. That's about it. Yeah. After that, I believe it was a four or five issue arc versus the hurricane. Yeah, hurricane. Who was just, no, just the hurricane. And he has, his powers were, he was powerful like a hurricane. I call him what I call him. The next arc featured Dr. Sin, who had never found a good way to spell sin in his life. Uh, After Chris Claremont leaves, it turns out that Dr. Sin was powered by a computer that was in Brian's house all along. That was thwarted by the cleaning lady. When she unplugged it. Like, right before their eyes. Like, right before their eyes! After they unplug the computer to death, the old man that is Dr. Sin ages to death in front of Brian, and he's like, I used to work for your dad, and now I'm dead. So Brian goes home, and the computer, like, bullies him into wanting to kill himself. Because there's all this backstory about how Brian was out getting some the night that this computer decided to murder his parents, and now somehow that makes it Brian's fault that his parents were killed. That's not messed up at all. No, and Brian doesn't have any weird issues with sex because of it whatsoever. Brian's like, I don't have the will to live! And the cleaning lady comes back in and she's like, Mr. Braddock! And Brian's like, oh, and the computer's like, ah! And then Brian suddenly doesn't mind all the sadness in his heart. Then there's a bizarre team up with Captain America versus the Red Skull. That goes on forever. But to pick things up where we left off, because we left off in the middle of an issue, Captain Britain is sitting in a cab, and he's on his way home after this exhausting life adventure. And once he gets home, he realizes he has no money, and the angry cabbie yells at him. He very recently was given a military funeral with honors. We're not talking about somebody no one's ever heard of. And this cabbie is like, oh, damn this guy. Yeah, it's the weirdest friggin' thing. It's also kind of weird that Brian is just like, okay, I'm not going to pay you. Bye. Yeah, that's not particularly superhero millionaire of him, is it? No. We are treated to Brian getting a letter from one of his dad's old friends, Professor Hawk, who received a robotic hawk from Brian and is evidently going to be the next villain i have to stop you his name is professor scott but i completely understand why you called him professor hawk i literally had to go no his name can't possibly be professor hawk it can't be that on the nose but i had to check because you never know oh my god it's professor hawk everywhere in my notes that's great no it's professor scott and the only reason it set off something in my head is i think because i think dr scott but that's about it like everything about this man is hawk hawk hawky hawk hawk Captain Britain builds this mechanical hawk and gives it to his dad's old buddy, Professor Hawk. Oh my god. And then Professor Scott uses it to become a supervillain, the hawk, to get revenge on people for polluting the earth. I'm just checking. Yes, that is correct. So the hawk that Brian built is actually an insane murderous weapon of mass destruction designed to destroy and maim. And I can't really figure out why Brian would build this thing, let alone just give it to someone randomly. Well, he actually only built, like, a remote control hawk, and it shows Professor Scott, like, going to somebody tricking this thing out. But still, like, the guy doesn't seem entirely well, and Brian, it seems, gave him, like, a whole bunch of toys that he shouldn't have. This guy has homing beacon technology because Brian gave it to him. What about this creepy old man makes you want to keep giving him technology and presents? Because he's very off-putting. 
Yeah, my notes say Brian is trying to be kind and describe the man not as an elderly crackpot, but everything about the description Brian gives and the story itself tells us that Professor Hawk kind of seems like someone Brian should have never given a giant weapon to. And then Brian even kind of recognizes the the killer weapon and he gave it to a man fired for being like not well. It's it's he's the weirdest guy with the weirdest backstory probably since Hurricane Man. He's ridiculed by his students for espousing Edwardian views and being like, we have to return to the age of chivalry. And like, it says how his students made fun of his hawk-like appearance, which I feel like that's grounds for expulsion from an actual school insulting your teacher's appearance. But apparently not. It just drove this guy crazy and drove him from being a professor. It does read like this school, this like this class of kids just bullied this old crazy person. And I don't mean crazy pejoratively. I mean crazy the way um it would seem these writers think is acceptable to present people as. I don't even know how to explain it. The man is just completely off his rocker. Like on every page he shows up and he's like a Scooby-Doo villain levels of cackling in the corner. Well, the way that he finds solace for himself after being bullied out of academia is that he pursues... How does he describe it again? The noble art of hunting with hawks until all of his hawks are killed by air pollution and we get this panel of him weeping over all of these tiny little hawk graves. Like, I'm not exaggerating. How did these hawks die of air pollution? I'm not exactly sure. That's what he has a vendetta against and he's going to use this remote control robot hawk that Brian gave him that he had someone trick out with, like, death lasers and shit to get revenge on all of London. The next thing that happens is, like, super stupid. As Captain Britain, he defends a woman against some muggers, but then the woman immediately assumes that he only defended her so he could steal her purse himself. The depiction they're creating of... The reaction to Captain Britain is sort of strange. It alternates as though he is some sort of super amazing hero and also like a Spider-Man-like menace. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Did he just stop the Red Skull or was there a national funeral for him or not? Yeah, when you mentioned that earlier when we were talking about the cabbie, I immediately thought of this moment where Mrs. Anderson is like, you probably only saved me from those punks so you could take my purse. Well, what has anyone ever reported anything of Captain Britain like stealing purses and stuff? It's just such a friggin' weird reaction we keep seeing, especially Inspector Thomas being so anti-Captain Britain to the point of it jeopardizing his job. Speaking of sporting characters, Brian never makes it to the Hawk so that he can get maimed to death by the Hawk because he runs into Courtney. It seems as though Brian can't have a family and friends at the same time, and it kind of makes sense. One of the things that I remember about early on writing Kid Riot when I had eight pages of story, I found myself really hard-pressed to find a room for everything I wanted to do. And I have really specific memories of people being like, oh, when are we going to find out about PJ's family? And I'm like, where the hell do you want it to go? I get eight pages a month. I can only imagine that's what these writers were going through. I get six pages a fucking week, man. I can only do so much a week. It's so easy to kind of forget that these stories were originally published across weeks, not months, when everything else we're reading is monthly. And the reason that matters is because our monthly books that we're reading that are 22 pages and 24 pages don't constantly end in these pointless, weird cliffhangers. I think Courtney Ross 
is best remembered for being a character that Chris Claremont was obsessed with. Chris Claremont had this habit of, I don't know, feeling as though because he introduced the character, the character super duper matters. And so he will just be like, oh, Courtney Ross, because you've all loved her this entire time. A lot of writers get like that, but I think especially with prolific writers, it's more glaring when they get attached to their very minor ideas and they keep bringing them up when no one else does. Yeah. The next issue has Captain Britain fight the hawk, expecting to find his professor, but he's quickly dispatched by the robot hawk, and then the old man has a chance to unmask Cap and doesn't. Instead, he wants to make Captain Britain think he's been abandoned, and then stalk him home. I, uh, I, 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 I don't know. But then he loses track of Captain Britain, because Captain Britain, I guess we'll call it demorphs from being Cap and goes back into being Brian Braddock. And we get more language like, even with his coat on, it's apparent he's not muscular enough to be Captain Britain. Like, once again, we're really hitting the nose on the fact that it is an enormous transformation between the superhero and Brian himself. The Hawk starts to get a little bit more personality in talking about why he does what he does. The Hawk is going to use his GPS track robo-mechanical bird to make things back to the way they were before the world of automation. I just want to point out the man using the robo-bird is upset that nature has been replaced by robots. That's the dumbest thing in the world until Di Thomas shows up. We are suddenly back to Di Thomas and Courtney Ross instead of Jamie and Betsy. It's interesting how they choose to split the page time. And then Courtney Ross gets hit by a bus. Okay, and not only does Courtney Ross get hit by a bus, like, completely Mean Girls style, but (laughs) what Brian says is even better. She's not moving. It happened because she recognized me, because I saved her in the past. First my parents, and now Courtney. Am I destined to destroy everyone I care for? Yes. I mean, if you keep talking like that, for sure, man. I'd also like to make note before we move on to the next issue that Brian's been making a lot of really weird pop culture references out of nowhere all of a sudden. He says how he needs something like Elton John needs another pair of specs in a previous issue. And then he references The Who and Kojak in the same issue. Like, it's a lot out of nowhere for him to be just like pop culture quipping like he's Spider-Man. The next big thing I need to talk about is when we see Jamie and Betsy, who hear about the drama at Piccadilly, we get Di Thomas saying, without Captain Britain, there would be no Hawk, and that's one of those fucking garbage arguments that make the not-bad-guy villain of the story a horrible-bad-guy villain. It's J. Jonah Jameson syndrome. We're supposed to ultimately sympathize with J. Jonah Jameson because he's not really a bad guy, but time and time again, he engages in illegal activities to get Spider-Man. Di Thomas isn't interested in justice. He's interested in his vague vantage point, and that's kind of a problem. Jamie and Brian kind of get into it. Yeah, I did not like that whatsoever. Uh, Jamie's like, I want to help. And Brian's response is to punch his brother in the face to knock him out because he's worried about something bad happening to Jamie if he gets involved. And then he falls asleep looking at the plans for the hawk to try and figure out how to stop this robot hawk. Like, you could have at least let your brother help you with this. You fell asleep doing it anyway, you schmuck. Also, how do you not know the inner workings of the hawk you designed? It's getting a a little out of control. So, to add more insane, Di Thomas tackles Captain Britain as the Hawk attacks, and I think it's supposed to be exciting, like watching all of these threads come together, but instead I'm kind of choked by it. Yeah, and then it's about to get choked up even more when they throw some more Jack O'Tanner in there. 
Strike shows up out of nowhere. I think that's really cool continuity. Strike is the British equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it was kind of nice to see them return. And while issue 32, and that feels so much later, but that's actually just five weeks, not five months. And it's only 30 pages, not close to 120. So for these original readers, that was barely a month ago. So it feels like something organic that should be coming up again. But I do want to note one other thing at this point. Um, the art switch that happened the previous issue is becoming increasingly clear. You see sort of like a lot of thicker lined boxes on some of the pages, chopping it up a little bit differently, less of the same same. I wonder if by this point it was evident that Captain Britain's time was starting to kind of run down. He has seven regular issues left before moving to a split title with Spider-Man without any major shift to the content. I also wonder if this was the point at which they knew they were going to be a black and white book. Earlier pages just suffered from some unfortunate budget cuts. Yeah, because for a while now, while it's been in black and white, it just it they did not step up the line work to uh, make up for the fact that they removed the color and the art definitely suffered for that. And speaking of suffering, let's talk about Jacko fucking Tanner, shall we? Yeah, Jacko Tanner being the one to take down Professor Hawk by shoving him is one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever seen. I only wish he'd gotten a dig about the way that he looks. It would have been like the cherry on top of this hilariously pathetic villain, especially after last issue when he brought up again that he was mocked for his appearance when he worked at the school and... Says, well, come morning, they'll jeer old hawk nose no longer. He's such a sad old man. This whole vendetta is so weird and petty, and it's very funny to see him ultimately be taken down by somebody just shoving him. Jack O'Tanner uses the hawk while Di Thomas is attacking Captain Britain. It's happening all at once. It's literally like the two most annoying figures, and he attacked his brother, and his sister vanished from the story along with his love interest who got hit by a bus, and the long-gone Kate Frazier who's never going to kill again. And the book is kind of becoming a joke when the hawk explodes by hitting a wall. I swear to Jacko and Di are about to unmask Captain Britain again. I just read references to issues 15 to 27 in the reappearance of Strike. Bringing up the exact plot that led to that arc again shows me that you're literally out of stories as a writer in four months. Seriously, we're seeing a repeat of the cliffhanger from issue 15, Di Thomas possibly unmasking Captain Britain. We also saw a version of it in issue 29, and here we are again at issue 32, and it's the great unmasking one more time. I often feel as though the writers don't read the issues their names are on, especially in this instance. Yeah, I noted that there was a lot of really weird stuff going on around here, too, with the covers and the next week tags. For example, the cover of 31 has Captain Britain being taken away by Hawky, the little robot hawk. It's, it's got Hostage of the Hawk written on it. But that literally doesn't happen until the last two panels of the issue. It acts like it's the main action of the entire thing, when really it's the ending. And it's uh, not the only time that you see this. Twice they use the next week tagline, What Price My Power? They have a tagline that says, All the answers, honest, not to mention the complete origin of Captain Britain. But that's not in the next issue, it's the one after that, where they reveal all of Merlin, uh, Magic Beard Guy's magic backstory, because surprise, Magic Beard Guy is, in fact, yeah, Nico, go ahead. We're going to take a brief sojourn into, uh, I don't know, the, I guess the Captain Britain mythos for half a minute here. This is the return of the giant magical sky people, including Merlin, as you pointed out. Yeah, before they revealed their names, I wrote in my notes, yay, mommy and daddy are back. 
the glowing sky people who speak in their yawns and thy and thither are back to put Brian through some really annoying and unnecessary trials. But before that, porn. Ooh, yeah, before that, porn. There's a really nice splash page. Yeah, uh, Brian Braddock is, is like, fuck, hot, so hot, so hot, so hot. They draw him so beefcakey, it's delicious. To rewind a moment, Captain Britain is tied down to an operating table and he's naked, but he's still, like, got his, like, face cowl on. And Lance, the head of Strike, arrests the Hawk, stops the unmasking of Captain Britain as a favor from when they all hung out with Captain America, tells Jacko to fuck off, and then admits to not unmasking Cat Britain and is like, why don't you join Strike? Why did we ever even have the Hawk story? Why didn't Captain Britain just get the invitation to join Strike at the end of the Captain America arc? The sheer volume of filler is what is making this book so horrible. So then hurting Captain Britain on the operating table, who was just suddenly like, fine, is like, no brain activity! His amulet glows, his heart jumps, and then the Strike people are like, super confused, and so am I, and now they're pronouncing him dead. Seriously. Well, his brain is dead, you see, but his body is still alive. It's impossible, but it's what's happening, apparently. Yeah, Captain Britain is suddenly dying on an operating table while the only person in England with a brain... Man, yeah, Lance Don't Kill Heroes over here is like, save the fucking dude! Meanwhile, Brian is now trapped in a mystical void and he's battling a giant monster? Merlin shows up. I don't know, man. He's watching the fight on pay-per-view with Crown Lady. Crown Lady, who will get a name, but for now, she's still female Mystic Sky person. She's super like, geez, dude, he's getting creamed. Help him out. And the old man and Mystic Sky person is like, here's your weapon, the one you rely on. That Legit, he's given back the weapon for refusing to give in and accept death. I get that. I do love that part about Brian, that he's so strong and he's so stoic. It's weird. This whole arc is weird. I don't know. All of the weird dimension stuff is weird because they, like, zap his staff to him so he can fight this creature that looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, and then they have to, like, wait for him to teleport to their mystical palace before they can say something they have to urgently say to him. But my favorite part of this whole issue is the fact that Merlin is, the, is like, a huge dick to Crown Lady because as Brian is starting to materialize, she's like, hello and welcome, and he's like, shut Shut up, I gotta talk to this guy, you can't say anything. And it's just like so mannish and dickish. So then we cut to Jamie and Betsy for a second oh, and oh, see how they're reacting. Oh, oh, Betsy has a nightmare about Brian that felt real, so Jamie sexually cradles her. It's really uncomfortable. I want to argue, but he does call her love and like, it's, I don't love it. So then Brian finally materializes in front of Beard Guy and Crown Lady, and the first fucking thing she does is says hello to Brian Braddock anyway, and she's like, welcome! And I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life, that after being told to shut up by a man, she was like, nope, I'm gonna do it anyway. Fuck y'all. And then they find out that if Brian doesn't get back to his body fast enough, he's gonna die, which, lol, of course. All this magic and all this power, but don't be in your body for like one hot minute and you end up dead. But first, here's my biography. So, the next issue is called That Camelot Might Live. Let's pause a second. At 24 pages of comic, we have 12 pages left. Halfway through, they've just introduced the actual plot of the story. So why did we spend half the, the arc talking about last arc and then something from two arcs ago fighting a bad guy who meant nothing, watching a lot of people watch Brian? The page space usage here is gross. 
Because all the Merlin stuff is really cool, I even made a note while Brian was fighting the creature from the Black Lagoon that it was the first time that I ever felt like Brian telegraphing his every move in a fight wasn't inorganic. I'm not sure if it's because it was like fighting a threat that was so much more serious than a bearded old man with a tricked out drone or I I don't know. I really felt engaged by a lot of the action that was going on in this arc. And I would have rather have seen more of that than Hockey Hawkface. We get some dumb stuff too, though. We get Die Thomas who calls up Strike and is ah. like, "Gimme Cap," and they're like, "He's literally brain dead." And Die Thomas is like, "No, nah, Gimme." And Strike is like, "We DK, bro. We just DK." Then we get even more weird. We find out that there's only ever been one Captain Britain before, and he was. Like a bad guy and died trying to steal the sword or something? Yeah, no, we see that other people have been given the choice between the sword and the amulet, and apparently Brian is the first one to ever take the amulet. They show a bunch of criminals picking the wrong thing, and it's just really weird. It's just a really weird moment. I wish we had seen some positive person getting to make a choice. But no, it's weird and dumb. And there's like way too many splash pages this issue. Hold up. Brian's about to get an upgrade. Yeah, he gets Cardcaptor Sakura's Star Wand. It's so exciting. And it looks vaguely like it was designed by the Celestials, and it's the Star Scepter! It also looks vaguely like a pen, though. Like, it literally has a little spike sticking out of it that looks like a big pen clip. That's really hard for me not to notice as an artist. I like it. I like- I think it's beautiful, but, you know- Notable. I now need to point out that this last part of the story is called God War. And you expect me to believe that this will play out with elegance in a matter of six or seven pages? It's like shunted off to a dark alien dimension with no reasoning. We were just in England in 1977, and now we're in some sort of alien void. Yeah, it turns out that Merlin has some sort of villain who looks like a Jawa, who's named after a type of camera. He has these, like... This weird demon army, but like, it's okay, cause Merlin's power, powerful enough to stop them, but then he's not powerful enough to send Brian back. Ooh. Yeah, uh, my notes say it's nearly impossible to figure out what's going on at this point. This has all been some sort of test by Merlin. Okay, sure. But then all this, there's, there's, there's all this stuff about how Nikon, the dark camera god, is going to fight Captain Britain, and this is supposed to be gods fighting somehow? This is the god war? So then the dark god Nikon creates alien warriors from, well, with a common cause, the hatred of earthlings. He creates them randomly from the planet they're on. Like, literally, he uses the ground of the planet they're on to create them. They're literally the only thing here that's not alien. Cap fights the alien monsters while Merlin takes out the dark god by himself. And then Merlin's all sorts of too spent to send Cap home. And he's just trapped on this alien world forever, which I would almost believe for like a full fucking second. But the next issue's cover literally takes place during the Queen Silver Jubilee. So I don't think they're trapped on that alien world for too long. No, quick question. Are we ever going to see Nikon again? I uh, no. Uh, I didn't think so. Okay. We will get more other random bad guys. There is later a villain named Necron. 
but there is not Nikon. I, I'm going to pretend they're cousins. <laughs> I like that read, and it, it almost works, too. This next arc is actually going to be kind of a weird one to talk about. Captain Britain, 37 to 39, as well as Super Spider-Man, it's 231 to 232. These five issues, they represent the end of the weekly series and the transition into the shared title with Spider-Man. These issues also tie into the Queen's Silver Jubilee, and if I were the Queen, I'd be furious as hell that somebody associated this with my party. And I get that. And I get that. This is, like, not a good arc. According to the cover, we're fighting the deadly, powerful, ruthless Highwayman <laughs> who will call AAA on us until we die. There's also more porn of Brian, and I'm great with that. Porn Brian me up. I think being annoyed that a story has tropes is uh, being annoyed that stories follow patterns you can identify and connect with. It's dumb to hate tropes, but it's okay to hate bad tropes and overused tropes and problematic tropes. Just about every negative trope of comics has been at least lightly touched on by these writers, and not just the, the passing grays. Time and time again, it's like these writers enjoy dragging us down the same paths over and over. We've read 36 issues of Weekly Comic at this point. We've had two issues of Origin. We had five issues of The Hawk, six issues with Doctor sin two issues against mastermind 12 issues featuring captain america nick fury and the red skull five issues featuring the hawk and then we had that weird merlin god war thing for four issues the outcome of the origin was captain britain now has his powers his staff and a mission the hurricane introduced new characters and essentially gave a single full story to learn about captain britain and brian braddock through dr sin was roughly 50 pages into captain britain but because it represented his eighth weekly issue and the beginning of his third arc the stakes were considerably higher than felt natural after two months of stories, there's no need to take it to the next level, and that's the nature of superhero comics, but at the same time, Dr. Sin will uh, bring the destruction of Captain Britain. It's been two months of stories. You've shown him to have two battles, and one was the battle that created him, and this arc being so intense over the top, the villain was too powerful, and it felt like Captain Britain couldn't win, and you know what? He didn't. He won when the housekeeper unplugged the bad guy. And then Mastermind was defeated when the same housekeeper distracted the bad guy. The Captain Britain, Captain America arc was 12 issues, and every other issue undid the previous one. Captain A's and B's were gassed, but then survived, but then are blown up and believed to be dead, but then survived, but then it turns out didn't survive, they're just robots, and then the robots break, but then they did survive, and they've been hitchhiking, and then they fight the Red Skull, who was doing all of this to capture the Prime Minister. Relax, stop doing that, relax. Exactly, Frankie. But what the fuck did setting all these traps for Captains A and B have to do with anything? And instead of making two sets of shitty plans, one with the plan that's actually the plan to kidnap the Prime Minister, and then the other that's the plan to hold back these two superheroes, why not just make one better set of plans in the first place, Skull, right? And then there's the Ark's penultimate issue that has the Skull crawling away uh, towards a way out and just teleports away. I mean, seriously, he just escapes. It's so anticlimactic. Half the plot involves Brian just sitting in a cab thinking about his origin. And after this, he's treated like shit after having just had a military honor funeral the day before and having just saved the entire fucking world. And he's treated like shit and then by the cabbie and then a random person he's trying to save and then die, Thomas. Man, you're really into this military funeral. It kind of seems like a big deal. Then the hawk seems like the stupidest arc ever in retrospect. Brian gives a robo-hawk to a crazy professor. He goes to visit him, and then he's attacked by said robo-hawk, and he can't figure out who's using the robo-hawk he gave to the crazy person. And then it's revealed to be the crazy professor man who's using the robo-hawk, as well as another a number of other technological weapons to rid the world of technology because he wants nature to rule. Which brings us to the God War, where it's Captain... Britain dying, then being teleported away, a strike tries to save him, then he fights a monster, then some sky people talk, and then he fights a monster, and then the sky people talk, and... Okay, so, by the sixth panel of this story, 
Brian's home and completely fine. Legitimately. The origin ends with Captain Britain winning a fight and none of the information mattering to canon, all of it being basically thrown out. The hurricane just burns himself out. Dr. Sin dies of old age after his power source is unplugged. Mastermind is turned off. The Red Skull just teleports away. The Hawk is knocked out by a random human guy. God War ends when Merlin defeats the bad guy. Brian doesn't really do much heroing, and at this point, manages to will himself home. Merlin is even like, ah, you've now seen the final fulfillment of a dream. Okay, I get that it's your job as a comic book writer to speak in hyperbole. Sure. But it's it's unreal to me how unfocused, how ultimately Cap is never really the hero. He's done a lot of superheroing. He do- He has not had a lot of victories, and that is hugely different. Technically, Jack O'Tanner now has more superheroic victories than Brian Braddock does. I don't disagree, which is why when Brian wakes up and escapes Strike's custody, Strike who's been nothing but good to him, Strike who's kept him alive, Strike who's taken care of him, Brian's trying to escape their custody. And does he say thank you? No. No. So, despite the covers promising about the dangerous highwayman, Instead, we evidently find out that the queen is going to suffer at the hands of the manipulator, and that's more where I feel like somebody didn't know something. He also looks like a precursor to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator with his flat-top haircut and his sunglasses. It's uncanny. And the highwayman looks an unbelievable amount like Slaymaster, interestingly enough. Then it gets even stranger when Jacko runs into Brian and gives him shit on Courtney's behalf, who's been in the hospital since getting injured in issue 30. Brian has been either in battle or coma ever since. When Brian says he's been busy, Jacko says no one is that busy. Wait, a Brian, so a, a student, physicist, millionaire, playboy, whose sister just wound up in the hospital and his race car driver brother had to rush home, whose house blew up, with all the things going on at the lab he's worked at and with his professor attacking the city, but nobody can be that busy. Plus, like, how long has she been in the hospital? Didn't she just get hit by a bus, like, yesterday? So Brian goes with Jacko to visit her in the hospital, which, okay, who the fuck wrote this, you know what I mean? So then the highwayman makes his appearance and drives through a truck to prove she's a real badass. <laughs> um, the highwayman attacks Jacko and Brian in their car, and I mean, I don't care anymore. It just so happens that the villain of this arc runs into Brian Braddock on the highway while he's being a spaz. Like, why? So the first two pages are exactly what you expect. Brian comes to, Jacko is alive, uh, Brian runs off and chases the highwayman. It's pretty standard, and you don't really have the page space for this. So then, immediately, Brian takes to using the Star Scepter. It's really great to see him have that incorporated quickly. The fight is pretty dumb, and the Highwayman has an evil monocle, and the evil monocle is everything to me. Yeah, the evil monocle is a lot to take in. So then the Manipulator shows back up, and Jacko automatically, by the way, assumes that Brian left him to, like, die on the road. A fucking car accident where they're run off the road by a crazy man on a motorcycle, and he just sort of assumes that he was left to die by this dude. Not that anything bad could have happened to him. And, like, I get it, but he does always sort of jump to the worst possible conclusion. So the next thing you know, Captain Britain's all tied up again. He's so, like, tied up, you would think this is, like, a Chris Claremont comic. I thought you were going to say a Christmas present to me. Both things. I actually do find myself really disappointed that Captain Britain weekly 
ends on the plot line it ends on. Captain Britain is mind controlled by the manipulator into being like a mindless drone and he must he must attack the queen for the master. He must do it for the master. The final issue of Captain Britain Weekly involves Captain Captain Britain being mind wiped. Yeah, you mentioned tropes earlier and you know you really can't get too mad at tropes they're the things we build stories out of but this is one that i don't particularly care for i'm not a fan of heroes being brainwashed into doing something bad especially because it usually becomes very rapidly obvious that they are simply brainwashed so anytime someone isn't forgiven for an arc like this it's really so stupid to me it's so glaringly obvious that it wasn't their fault speaking of it wasn't their fault Captain Britain has all this dumb, No, it's for the master! Why won't they just let me do this for the master? This is not how I wanted Captain Britain to bow out. It's just so pathetic. As Cap B is trying to attack the Queen, his eternal narration is so embarrassing. Why is he fighting me? I'm just carrying out the master's orders. So Captain Britain has the mental fortitude to will himself home through dimensional time and space, something which even the great Merlin can't do, but then Cap can't beat mind control. This is a weird follow-up to congratulations, you just proved yourself worthy of the greatest test ever. Like four times in a row. The Highwayman fights to defeat Cap. Cap loses, and the Highwayman looks like a hero, which is all part of the manipulator's very complicated plan. And it makes Die Thomas look good at his job, both of which are lies. So Cap B just flies away to freedom. Fly away, little bird! And he decides to catch up with his family, who are like, Brian, no! And Brian's like, guys, come on. Well, because the spell is broken because of the flashing police lights and the police siren noise. Just the fact that they're immediately like, Brian, how could you? It's like, guys! Yeah, seriously. Come on, he's your brother! Jesus! And you know he's a superhero! Especially after Betsy was just mind-controlled into thinking that her brothers were, you know, demon monsters. The issue ends with the Slay Master. I'm sorry, I called him the Slay Master. I'm so stupid. I'm, I was looking at a picture of it, and I'm like, look at that hair, it's Slay Master! No, with the Highwayman. Oh, the monocle, Um, yeah, well... Just wait. Okay. So the highwayman brainwashes the queen by replacing one of her rings with an identical ring that has a stone that hypnotizes people because he asked for a deco around her palace. Deco being lower class slang for a look, which came from the Hindi word deco, meaning look, just for all of you scholars out there. The queen announces on television... I, your queen, shall lead you to Africa to reconquer Umbazi for its rightful ruler, and she then leads a ship armada to invade. I'm sure Liz too loved that. Thus begins the era of other people's magazines as we switch over to the first Captain Britain story, not in Captain Britain Weekly. Sea Fury, which as I understand it was the original name of Sea Org. Uh, 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 so, uh, the queen wants to invade Africa, because so said the manipulator. And the highwayman is somehow involved, so Captain Britain flies to the boat she's going af- after this country with, and I just can't. And this guy is so weird. Like, he talks about how he wants his name blazoned across everyone's TV screens and news hoardings. What's a news hoarding? He's such a strange character. I think part of what really kind of has me kind of laughing is Die Thomas winds up tied up like a fuck chump. And that's kind of like the best thing, at least. Yeah. Die Thomas looks like such an idiot. 
So now the manipulator and the highwayman are going to go reconquer Umbazi to, I don't know, either start World War Three or just at least take over a nation. And I just fucking can't. It's so ridiculous. And so Brian swims up behind the boat and like bursts his way through the hull with his staff saying no earthly armor can resist the thrust of a star spawn staff, which is my new pickup line. I actually changed that to my scruff profile. Nice. So, the next thing you know, Brian is left to choke to death on fumes. Yeah, it's referred to by the villains as he and Di Thomas are choking their guts out, which, giggity. And I just didn't need to see Captain Britain choke to death on fumes again. I feel very much the same way that Captain Britain does, like, the oxygen is leaving me as we try and finish this book. The last issue, and this guy has fallen so far from his origins. I was really engaged with this last issue. I thought the way that Captain Britain breaks the spell on all of the sailors on this ship by setting off a crate of fireworks, which was established earlier as the way that it broke his mind control. That was really good seeding of how the mind control is broken and then really great use of it in this issue. There were good things. Yeah. And then there's the ending. Yeah. (laughs) So once again, the bad guy gets away and Captain Britain can't do anything about it. The manipulator jumps into a jet and is going to fly away. Cap is just sort of watching him go at first and feeling really defeated about himself and being like, you know, when he decides to strike again, though, I'll be ready for him. Wait, the aircraft is losing speed. It's faltering. And then it just crashes into the fuck damn ocean. Cap says six Semper Tyrannus, which is weird he said earlier in the issue to die thomas to block all means of escape die thomas took that to mean let me drain all the fuel from all the jets and so that's why the plane crashed so once again it had nothing to do with cap but at least this one was sort of funny to see him thinking the villain is flying off and god damn it i missed another one oh he's crashing goodbye i think he's crashing goodbye is everything you can say about the final issue in the first hardcover of Captain Britain. Yeah, a soldier, you know, relays uh, Her Majesty's thanks and says that she wants to give him an award, and he is like, no need, I want no award. And it's like, yeah, you really shouldn't get one. You kind of bollocks things up most of the time. And on that note, we swam the English Channel with Captain Britain. We did. We truly did. We jumped in his amazing jet. We thrust our star spawn staves. We threw our Captain Britain boomerangs. We got picked up by some weird robot hawk drones. And now we're moving into a weird era where everything is in a different book. Captain Britain is not going to find his home in a book called Captain Britain for quite some time. He will return there eventually but kevo and i are going to go on a weird roller coaster ride featuring some random captain britain crap in the very near future i'm excited kevo until we return to the pages of captain britain where can your listeners find you usually right next to you but if you're talking about on the weberverse i am at kevo really on any social media where social media can be found which is a lie because i'm not on every single form of social media but you know look me up on tweeters and picturegram and those good things And as always, you can check out our amazingly cool comic, Kid Riot and Riot Squad, as well as its sister book, Capes and Boots, over at KidRiotComics.com. You can check out my music project, Action Duo, at Facebook.com slash Action Duo. And you can check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, at N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until then, guys, we're going to check you out soon. 